fun. No, I'm not. I'm not. So sorry. I'm not ready. <laughs> <clears throat> ready? Yes. <laughs> And I'm Jessica. And this is The Greatest Genre, aka Fantasy Romance. Aka, aka Romanticy. Oh, that's new. I thought so too. Wait, but is it actually new or is it like the TikTok Gen Z girlies have been saying it and you and I aren't one of those? I think it's the latter. Ah, that's right. I'm tracks. assuming it, yes, I'm assuming it's the latter. I think we might be a little bit late to the party. Well, it sounds fun. We should go there. I think so too. I really liked it. We passionately we'll late. Romanticy. Romanticy. The greatest genre. AKA Romanticy. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Yes. And here on The Greatest Genre, we will be rereading, dissecting, and fully fangirling over the exhaustive works of Sarah J. Mass, starting with A Court of Thorns and Roses. Yeah. And today, we'll be focusing on Akatar, chapters 6 through 10. And the first portion of the episode will be completely spoiler free. We will be speaking exclusively about the events that unfold within those chapters, sharing thoughts and analyses, also referencing events from previous chapters and last episode. And then the second portion of today's episode will be a very different story. For those of you who have not already torn through Akita, Tog, CC, all of it, and you do not want to be exposed to spoilers, we will give you a very clear indicator when to exit the arena. An alert. Uh, in every sense of the word. <laughs> Very difficult to miss. Exactly. And then that portion, everything is on the table. Everything. Just really spoilers abound across all three series, but we will keep you safe if you are not looking for that. So, yes. Some quick housekeeping notes to get yes. started. Yes. First off, The Greatest Genre does, from time to time, contain <laughs> adult language, adult content, as does the series itself. Yes. So, if you are not interested in thinly veiled innuendos <laughs> from certain red-haired high fey males perhaps this is not your place That's but we hope okay. it is we we want you to join us here it's all pretty harmless <laughs> secondly <laughs> if you have not already please subscribe to our podcast and our youtube channel you can listen both on spotify and apple podcasts but we highly recommend the YouTube channel as we really do love sharing our visual aids and fan art. Yes. Everything during these chats. It really just adds to the richness of the discussion. I agree. I think it just adds another dimension. And then please also give us a follow on your favorite social media platform. We are on Instagram at the underscore greatest genre, on Twitter at the greatest genre, and then you can email us at the greatest genre at gmail.com. Yes, and we would love to hear your thoughts about the show. We would love to hear your favorite moments. If there's anything that you want us to chat about in particular, and we are also having an open call for fan cast suggestions. Yes, we are struggling with Lucian. We would love Lucian's suggestions. That would be fantastic. Help us! Yes. Please. And then finally, your request to keep things kind. Yes, this is such an amazing community. We love this genre. We are so excited to be a part of it. And we just want this to be a space where everyone can love these books together and be very respectful of everyone's opinions, even if you ship a real. Yes, that's fine. It's fine. Totally fine. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Disagrees. It's fine. 
<laughs> and now, Jessica, I think it's time to return to Prithian, go over the wall, and head into chapters 6 what through 10 all week? of A Court of Thorns and Roses. I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, let's transition into those summaries! Okay. Chapter 6. I'm ready. <laughs> Feyre awakens, because remember, of course, she's been sleep-drugged magically. Yes. So Feyre awakens as she enters the grounds where she is to live out the rest of her days. The estate is beautiful with lush gardens, green fields, and thick forests surrounding it. The manor house is huge and elegant, though a bit gaudy, if you ask me. Um, She considers making a run for it, only to realize that she is literally on the brink of starvation. That's very tough. Her body is not working. Um, And so she decides to follow the beast inside inside Feyre is shocked when the beast transforms into a man and not just a man but a high fey male i was also shocked who was golden were you shocked so shocked i did not see that coming (laughs) i was shocked say it again i was shocked (laughs) yes a a high fey male with Golden hair, green eyes, and a strong jaw, which we will translate for you later in this episode. <clears throat> he also wears a golden mask, which Feyre assumes, <laughs> as we all would, that it must be some absurd high fey fashion. We then, very quickly, meet Lucian, courtier and emissary. He makes a very dramatic entrance, wearing a bronze fox-shaped mask. He has flaming red hair, and Feyre notices he is missing an eye, which has been replaced by a golden orb, and has a very gruesome scar running down the side of his face. Lucian demands to know who killed Andras, the name of the fairy that Feyre killed, and the golden-haired man explains that the treaty's magic led him to Feyre and that he has given her sanctuary. Mm. He then commands <clears throat> Feyre to eat, which Feyre adamantly refuses to do, even though she is starving. starving. she is instead then taken to her room by a servant named alice and her room is also huge and lavish and it sounds pretty amazing honestly she's attended to by servants in bird masks basically given a spa treatment and then seems very very certain she's going to be eaten and has a complete breakdown (laughs) when alice presents her with a dress relatable and then after some Begging and tearful compromising on Ferris' part, she is allowed to wear trousers and a tunic. A tunic. A tunic. And then instructed to go down for dinner. Chapter 7. Dinner is quite the show. Uh, we get some truly comedic attempts at, I guess the only word I can think of it is flattery? Mm. From Tamlin, whose name we learn very quickly now, thanks to Lucian. We also learn that Tamlin has, by some magical means, ensured that Feyre's family are safe and cared for, and he also tells her that if she should flee, meaning crossing the Prithian border, her family will no longer be taken care of. So that sort of magical situation Mm -hmm. that is keeping them safe will go away. Feyre realizes in this moment that all of her hopes of trying to escape are now for nothing, because even if she managed to somehow get out, her family would likely resent her return more than celebrated. It's just sad. So sad. The next morning, Feyre encounters Tamlin on her way out for a walk in the garden, and as they speak, he explains that there is a blight 
upon the lands, a sickness that has been spreading slowly for 50 years. He explains that the masks are a result of the blight and that they have been unable to remove them since a surge in the blight that happened during a masquerade ball 49 years ago. So tough. I can't even begin to imagine that. We'll discuss. Tamlin offers her a tour, which Feyre turns down, prompting Tamlin to ask her if she has a problem with him. <laughs> he seems pretty offended, and Feyre is 11 out of 10 still paranoid that she's going to be maimed, eaten, or otherwise murdered by Tamlin or the members of his she court. She is really concerned Really about it. <laughs> fixated on this, I'm gonna get eaten bit. Chapter 8. Feyre wanders the grounds on her own, mapping out places to hide or potential escape routes. She also has a brief moment where she feels like she's being watched, but the only thing she can see are two patches of shimmering light. We have another dinner together with the, uh, with the three of them, during which Lucian is once again the Sultan of Sass. Oh, I like that. The very Sultan of Sass. dry, everything is dripping with sarcasm and disdain, which <clears> I love. It's very hot. It's great. Feyre <laughs> um, also steals a knife and reveals to Tamlin and Lucian that her mother died when she was very young, after which Tamlin tells her pretty genuinely that he is sorry for her loss. Feyre reacts to this by storming out of the dining room and resolves to try and persuade Lucian to advocate for her release. Chapter 9. Feyre wakes up the next day with her new plan in mind to convince Tamlin to speak, or sorry, convince Lucian to speak to Tamlin about finding another loophole in the treaty that will allow her to leave. On her way to find Lucian, she encounters Tamlin, who offers her a ride around the grounds, and Feyre turns him down again and says she wants to Very spend tough day for Tamlin. Alone. <laughs> which is a lie. <laughs> Feyre does find Lucian and joins him on his patrol, which he tells her was actually... Andras's patrol, mm. which is a little bit awkward. Feyre apologizes to Lucian, rather begrudgingly, I might add, for killing his friend. Lucian doesn't buy it for a second, and then proceeds to call her out for her plan before she can say a word about getting Tamlin to release her, and he also squashes her hopes by saying, there is no second loophole. Like, it is not happening. This is it. Lucian and Feyre speak a bit more about Tamlin's court, the differences between the High Fae and the Lesser Fairies, one in particular, the Surreal, a creature that will answer any question for you if you can capture it. But their ride is brought to an abrupt halt when Lucian senses something and orders Feyre to look straight ahead no matter what she hears or feels. Chapter 10. The encounter with a malicious, sinister creature called a Boggy... straight face because the boggy just sounds the opposite of sinister and it also sounds like bogey <laughs> which comes out of your nose <laughs> oh, I forgot you all call them bogey <laughs> we call them boogers <laughs> now I'm gonna call the boggy a booger anytime I hear it <laughs> sorry resume the boggy leaves Farah. <laughs> Somehow even more terrified of Brithian than she was before. She and Lucian go back to the manor, where Tamlin is visibly, and also understandably, miffed that Feyre very clearly did not 
She want to spend the day alone. <laughs> I would also be kind of pissy. I know we do. I would. Uh, but he is, his attention is sort of immediately diverted when Lucian alerts him to the Boggy's presence. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't make eye contact with you when you say the word Boggy. <laughs> Boggy's presence on the ground. <clears throat> so Tamlin gets up and leaves, and Lucian explains that he's gone to hunt the Boggy. And he's the only one powerful enough to do so. Which is very hot. Yes, that is very hot. Yes. So that night, Feyre finds herself unable to go to sleep, and she's looking out the window, watching for Tamlin to return. Almost as if she were worried. worried. Huh. Funny how those things end up working out. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're wondering if you'll ever see that strong jaw again. Yeah. Hmm. Just as she convinces herself that she's being foolish, she does see something coming towards the manor, but it is not Tamlin. It is her father. Dun, dun, dun! Oh my god! <laughs> and that brings us to the end of chapter 10. Whew! Yes. Jessica, nicely done. Thank you. I do love your summaries. Oh, thank They you. bring me joy. I'm so glad. So I think before we dive into breaking it all down, let's take a step back and look at our new surroundings. Yes, we've had a very literal change of scenery. Here. Yes, so we are now in the Spring Court. Yes. And we are going to throw up one of our favorite um, artists. This is Artworks by Roki. I think that's how you say the name. I'm not sure. We will I tag do. them I do in the comments. The um, so you guys can take a look. at This is how we visualize the spring court to be. Yes. And this is... Something about the white... It's the alabaster, the marble. marble it's stunning. the green... It's stunning. <laughs> Although still... Goldie, if you ask me. I did want to pull out this comment, uh, this, um, excuse me, quote that I think just describes it really nicely. It's right at the mm -hmm. beginning of chapter six. I'd never seen anything like it. Even our former manor couldn't compare. Again, sidebar, like they used to be rich AF. I feel like I keep yeah. forgetting that, but it's an important note. Well, and I think it's the because she, <clears throat> I think we forget because Feyre was so young that it's difficult for her to remember. And also she wasn't driven by materialistic things ever even when they were incredibly wealthy. Mm. But anyway, even our former manor couldn't compare. It was veiled in roses and ivy, with patios mm. and balconies and staircases sprouting from its alabaster sides. The grounds were encased by woods, but stretched so far that I could barely see the distant line of the forest. So much color, so much sunlight and movement and texture. I could hardly drink it in fast enough. To paint it would be useless. I would never do it justice. Mm. So it's, I think it sets it up really nicely. It does. The scenery that we're in. Oh, like, and it's such a contrast to the bleak, colorless, lifeless landscape. Yeah, like I imagine the woods before. being like almost under a filter, just that some, all the colors mm. are muted and dulled and it's like you step into a yeah. watercolor and you put one of those vibrant Instagram filters on and suddenly everything's <laughs> popping, you know? Lo-fi. <laughs> exactly. But it's civilized, clean, beautiful. We get a lot of birds chattering, a lot of light breezes. Yes. Like it seems I, I picture the English countryside in like full sunshine mm. colors, just everywhere. You know, yes, yeah. There are and mentions again, just, of like fields and crab apple trees, and it just seems 
very whimsical and beautiful. And full of full of life, but also void of life. She sort of immediately notices that while everything inanimate is bursting with life, the trees, the vegetation, mm-hmm. it's very quiet. Yes, she does like reference a lot how empty it seems. Yes. And there's something slightly and of Off. course this is again like immediately I think of Beauty and the Beast because it's the exact same well, experience when Belle comes into the yes. Beast <laughs> castle. Yes. <laughs> this is a Beauty and the Beast story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that contrast like immediately from the first five chapters to the second five chapters. And the spring court, I think, is like a really fun new backdrop for us it is it's very exciting and i just i think it is a really perfect dramatic dichotomy to the mortal lands this is sort of the ultimate shock to her system not only is it so different from what she is used to it's also nothing like what she was expecting exactly and that goes with the people as well that she is meeting so we kind of get our first real conversations with Tamlin and Lucian and later on Alice but should we talk a little bit about this first interaction with Tamlin and Lucian yes absolutely and first of all I just really cannot state enough how shocked I was to find out the beast was not a beast (laughs) (laughs) shocked I tell you first impressions of Tamlin He has this mask on his face Mm -hmm. that is golden with different whirls and patterns on it. Uh, He wears a baldric. Which I had to Google. Indications that he is a warrior of some sort. Yes, and we will also, for those of you who read the word baldric and accepted it, but maybe didn't have a full visual of what that looks like, here on your screen is what it is. Think Renaissance Fair. Yes, (laughs) <laughs> and I also, this image is actually, I googled tunic and baldric outfit. Oh, fun. And, and then I, and I was like, ah, okay. Yes. I understand. Now. I understand. I wasn't far off in my imagination, but it was good to know. It's, I feel like it's how men in fantasy romance novels dress. Yes. I just never heard the word baldric either. I mean, I knew what it yeah. was, but like, I figured it out with the weapons later on attached yeah. to it. Yes. Uh, a lot of focus on those striking green eyes. Still. Listen. <laughs> so we've we've got several very clear indicators here that our golden haired, green eyed, <laughs> strong jawed, high fame male he, listen, he's, he's hot. hot. And there are other like indicators in all fantasy oh sorry, romanticy books. Yes. That someone is attractive. Um, a broad hand. Is one of them. Mm-hmm. Broad tanned shoulders skin. as well. Mm-hmm. Golden tanned skin. Oh, yeah. Yes. Always. Mm-hmm. Corded yeah. muscle. That's a big one. That's a big one. That's a big one. Also, like, high cheekbones, which obviously we don't have Full here. Full mouth. There, that one. Is that's the worst one. That's <laughs> where you know you are just toast. There's no hope for you if he has a full mouth. And Tamlin... Has all of these things. He does. Yes. <laughs> We've, yeah. The foundation has been laid. <laughs> Although, as hot as he may be, his chat, as we like to say in England, maybe could use some work. Not great. <laughs> he is he is a man, or I guess I should say a, a fey male of few words. We'll talk about that adjustment in a minute. 
of few words. He really is, he's also very bossy. And a little bit aloof. Yeah. To be, to be fat, Lucian does say that it has been a few decades since, since he's, he's flooded with someone. And so maybe he's just, he's rusty. I mean, this isn't he even does, about flirting yet. He's just interacting. Yeah. Seems to be it's troublesome. Just general him. communication seems to be tough. I mean, when he says your hair is clean, that is a very tough look for Tablet. <laughs> I mean, at least he's not doing false flattery. Like, then on the other hand, you've got Lucian who's doing his very sarcastic bow and telling her that her eyes are like stars. And I think, honestly, that makes her more uncomfortable than Tamlin identifying that she has been baby. I have just got to say it. I love Lucian's banter. Oh, I, I think too. he is so funny. This, the sarcasm <laughs> is so well-crafted. It's dripping in sarcasm. And just always with the disdain. My two notes for Lucia that I originally wrote down were dramatic and kind of a dick. <laughs> Eventually, during these chapters, she actually calls him a prick. Yeah, he deserved it in that, in that little interaction, I well, think. Well, she also kind of deserved what he said to her, which was, are you ever going to be anything other than dull and boring? Or dull and serious, like something like that. And Very she just whips back and says, are you ever not a prick? <laughs> and then and then he says, better. I always like these interactions between two characters because it's like, you can just tell in the long run they're mm-hmm. going to be friends. Mm-hmm. Like, I think one of the first lines, I actually, I wrote it down uh, with Lucian was, a pity I didn't have the arrow now so I could shoot him instead. Mm. She just right off the bat is like, I would like to verbally joust with this man. Yes. Sorry, male. Male. Okay, we got to talk about this real let's, quick. Yes, the adjustment. let's go ahead and cover this because it was absolutely an adjustment for me when I was first reading the books and I was really not sure how I felt about it. Yeah, me as well, especially since I had been through kind of a reading hiatus and the, these books were really what with the catalyst for the 50 books that I read in 2022. The first That's one was Akata. Yeah. And so I I was I was rusty on romanticy in general and then they started throwing around the words males and females all over the place and I was Pretty like Pretty much exclusively when huh? referring to gender. Yeah. Yeah, and like it's we, very biological. Yes. Anatomical. Yes. Yes. But also interesting because when you're in the mortal realm she doesn't say male and female she, like she calls isaac hale boy yes well he is a boy well yes but she also uses terms like man and i think that that is because to use the phrase man and woman it actually implies that they're mortals correct yes and so that Which is was a an reason. important realization for me i was like oh okay i understand why we're doing this here because you also find out how primal, like they're yes. a little bit animalistic. 100%. And that and it starts the whole to make sense thing. later on. It doesn't feel right to call Tamlin. I was, I was saying a man, man mm-hmm. and I, it, it doesn't feel right anymore. And then the more you that. read Akita and mm-hmm. then you go on with Mr. Fury, Wings of Ruin, etc., etc., you find yourself 
thinking that the words man and woman are kind of weird. All of a sudden it does. You do a complete reversal on it. It's really (laughs) impressive the way she can just fully immerse you into the world. Yes, that is what we call the dark place. And we were there for a while. It was a place of joy. But it was the dark mm, place because it was, a it comforting, was dark place. very disconnected from reality. The real world was the sad place. It really was. <laughs> that was what dark times, <laughs> Jessica. <laughs> yes, so we've met Lucian, we've met Tamlin, and the next character that we come into contact with is, is Alice. Alice. Who seems lovely. She's Mrs. Potts. Literally. She's Mrs. Potts. And she gives Farah the makeover scene. Which... On one hand, does sound lovely, but on the other hand, it's never great when you hear that someone has been plucked like a chicken. Yes, ready for dinner. Very tough. And then that leads me to believe, what was being plucked? Was it like her eyebrows? Was she having a, a wax? Was was it like her armpits? Maybe? I really hope nobody was plucking her armpit hair, because that would take a very long time and it would hurt a lot. But yes. it was nice to see Farah finally getting some TLC. And I think that Alice was the woman to do it. Yeah. and She's and got a very motherly vibe about her. You trust Alice. Right away. And even though she dishes out a little bit of tough love. Yes. I think you just get the sense from Alice that this is someone who is not a threat. Exactly. Farah can feel safe with her. Regardless of the fact that Farah sees everyone as a threat during these chapters. And Literally thinks she's going to Adamantly get refuses to accept any reality other than the reality that somebody is going to eat her. <laughs> and Alice is like, my girl, we don't care enough about you because you're insignificant. How many people have to tell Farah that they are all under orders not to like harm her in any way? And at this point, she still believes that fairies can't lie. So, right. she is literally contradicting herself. There is this kind of really heartbreaking moment where she does look in the mirror, and this is like, I think in chapter 7 this happens. I was going to say, I don't think it's that first night because she's very fixated on the clothes. And the fact that she will refuse to wear a dress, which <laughs> I just have to say really resonated with me. <laughs> I found it to be... Very overly dramatic. She's looking in the mirror and she says, I was a far cry from ugly, but I bore too much of the people we'd hated and loved for Nesta to stand it. This is so sad. I think in that scene, she also notes that her her face looks kind of skeletal. Yeah. You know, her features are sort of protruding because she's so malnourished. Yeah, and I think that some, like we forget this sometimes because mm-hmm. we're so focused on you know the whimsy, the budding and love story, yes. and the whimsy and all of it, and the new world, and it's all so fantastical. But it's like she has come from a really, really tough past, and we have to bear that in mind as we have these discussions about her character mm-hmm. arc and her growth, yeah. what she is coming from. Yes, no, she is terrified. She is alone, and she is very malnourished, which brings us. To, to the, the dinner table, which I have some notes. Some notes on. <laughs> Even I, while rereading it, was like, "All right, listen, we've <laughs> been reading the fantasy genre for quite some time." Yeah. Okay. We are no stranger to a fantastical feast. 
No. In okay. fact, I quite enjoy those moments. I do as well, all right? And while The Hobbits may have set a very high bar, <laughs> the description of the food on the table here is not doing it for me, okay? Elaborate. We start out with chicken, peas, <laughs> asparagus, Ooh. and fish. No, no descriptors, just fish. <clears throat> okay, chicken, peas, asparagus, and fish. That's not an appetizing, like... Where is the roast duck? Yeah. You know, and where the gravy. is where is the salted pork? Oh, yeah, the salted pork, pork. You say. Yes. <laughs> and like again, just an alarming absence of root vegetables. Where are the potatoes? There is always potatoes. And even things that I would never really eat like, you know, like stuffed quail or something like that. And given that. the staggering wealth that we saw or in every single pig. other room, like why chicken and peas? And fish. And fish. <laughs> Nondescript fish. Like, At least it's like, a sea bass. And like, I think there might have been mention of bread, but no butter. Where is the yeah. cheese? No, she mentions bread again with the meat and the sauce. And the sauce. Thank you for bringing us to the sauce. <laughs> I, I was really struggling with Tamlin just piling meats and sauces on her plate. Like, is this a barbecue restaurant? <laughs> yeah, and then she's wiping up the sauce with she's the thinking about licking it clean, and it's just gross. It just didn't do it for me. On the list of fantasy feasts that I've read about in books, this one it did not make me hungry. The feast will give it what a two out of ten, three out of ten. I'm sure the feast was a ten out of ten. The descriptors could use some work. I was like to pivot to Tamlin's attempt at flirtation in this chapter. Also, very nosy about Feyre's love life. I know. And she was so, like, and I was close to the man back home, and did you love this man? What's what is it to you? Like, what a weird question to ask a stranger that yeah. just showed up at your doorstep. And Lucian is, like, chiming in, too, you know, being like, oh, don't you find, do you not find us attractive? What did you call him? The King of Sass? No. The, the Sultan of the Sass. The Sultan of Sass? Yes. I mean, he, he is that. Yes. But he is very hot with his fiery red hair. We also haven't eye. really talked about the golden eye. I know. And you know that later on that's going to that's going to pop up as like having some very kind of funny moment that I missed earlier, but when I was rereading it this morning, I noticed it and it made me giggle and she said that she had a very unnerving moment where she wondered if the golden orb could see out of the back of his head and it just I immediately thought of Mad-Eye Moody. Oh my god, that is Do you think that she's just like a little Finnegan. bit of because I've noticed that SJM sometimes like draws inspiration from some of our favorite like movies and TV shows. I wonder if she was thinking of Mad Eye Moody. I wonder if she was thinking of Mad Eye Moody when she did that. Especially with the scar. Yes. Wow, we just ladies and gentlemen, we discovered that right. That was live. (laughs) You just watched that happen live. That was in no one's notes. No, but But I like that. It made me think about it. It just immediately made me think of Seamus. (laughs) Come under his desk. You need to find somewhere else because you're chewing gum, Seamus. Mr. Finnegan. Brandon Gleason is elite. I love it. (laughs) But yeah, there is a lot of focus on Feyre's love life. Uh, Tamlin says that she's clean, which... And gets... Which 
<laughs> which earns him an encouraging nod from Lucian. Which is by just the way, so bizarre. It would be very uncomfortable to be Feyre sitting here at this table. Like, they're being kind of creepy. Also, isn't it weird that, like, clearly Tamlin is, like, the man in charge. Sorry, the male in charge in this yes. scenario. Yes. And Lucian's giving him encouraging nods. It kind of sounds like Tamlin isn't so good with the females. And Lucian knows what he's... I'm just going to say it right now. Lucian is a daddy. Everything that he does, right off the bat, I was like, this is going to be a problem for me. Yeah. <laughs> he, Lucian exudes much more confidence Lucian has big dick energy. He does. And Tamlin, so I think Tamlin will get there, but given this scene with the meats and the sauces and uh, <laughs> and the flirtation, or attempts at flirtation, attempts at flirtation, or flattery, Tamlin is not quite there for big dick daddy energy for me yet. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree. Although, I was immediately, immediately into the mist. Like, he's very mysterious, I think. Yes, and you love a mysterious I man. I do. <laughs> I do. I like it when they're a little more on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more forward, yeah. shall we say. I'm not super into subtlety. <laughs> and he's very tortured. Oh, he is so tortured. You can just so feel the angst <laughs> rolling off of him mm-hmm. in massive waves, which is also huge for me. It's very hot. Tamlin is hot. Yes. The strong jaw gives it right away. And they're all very tall. And that's an Achilles heel for me. You know that. Mm -hmm. I also just have to say that if I were in Feyre's shoes, I think regardless of how afraid I was supposed to be of these creatures. You just can't be that afraid of someone who is a straight 10 out of 10. You can't. (laughs) Your body doesn't allow it. It's a problem. I I would immediately be like, oh, well, this is, this could be interesting. But you know what's tough for me? Like, yes, everyone is incredibly hot. I mean, especially Daddy Lucian. I just struggled with the masks. Oh, see, that added to the, that immediately to me was like, okay, we're, we're in the magic realm now. I got that, but while reading the conversations that happen between characters and just the scenes and how they play out, I would have to remind myself, oh, wait a second, they're doing all of this with a mask on. And like, I would immediately giggle because I thought it was kind of funny. I couldn't quite take it seriously sometimes. Interesting. I would, I would forget they were wearing masks, which I guess is the point, right? Like, you yeah, want to forget. Yeah, I think you would become a little desensitized <clears throat> to it. But for me, again, it was just, it all added to the mystery. Well, it's actually... And it was frustrating because I wanted the masks to come off, but it never made me, like, giggle. But it's important, that's a good segue into discussing, like, we get our first mention of the blight in these chapters. Yes. And the reason that they have these masks is because Mm -hmm. there was this masquerade 49 years ago, and... And Tamlin seems actually in in sort of a, a 180 from his difficulty communicating anything <laughs> at the dinner table you know the first night he's actually pretty open with Feyre about you know, well in the moment it seems like he's being very open with Feyre about what is going on in the lands and why it seems so which by the way there. she has immediate questions about she's like why is he giving me all this information yes because she ain't no dummy Feyre she knows how to survive she's, she's very street smart and she understands that he is exposing weaknesses to her, which means that he must be very confident that she is never going back to the mortal realm. 
Yes. So she definitely does have that moment. But the most important thing is the context that we as readers are getting in that moment. And I thought this was actually a really good scene where you don't feel like a character is being given context for the sake of the audience. Yes. It was context that made sense for Tamlin to give Feyre in that way at that time. And that is actually something I noticed in these five chapters. Mm -hmm. That was something I struggled with and we talked about in our previous episode. I felt like I was being shown, not told. Mm -hmm. Oh wait, no. I was being told, Told, not not shown. shown. And in these chapters, I agree with you. Yes. Like, even especially like when the mention of like her mother dying of typhus and mm-hmm. it just seemed very genuine like the concern from like yeah Tamlin. these seem like conversations that would naturally happen as you're getting to know another person right and I thought I also felt like in that moment where Tamlin is giving her this context and talking about the blight the sickness on the land she immediately has a question about whether or not it would affect the mortal lands, which also mm-hmm. makes sense to me. And he says that, yes, it could affect mortals. And you can see that it's something that's really weighing on him. And in that moment, to me, it also felt like this was sort of an olive branch moment. He, I think, is trying to show her that this is her home now. And he's sort of trying to just mm. level with her. I agree. A little bit. Also, and it, moments of decency with Tamlin. That, yes. like, we didn't... Uh, and there wasn't time to get to know him in the last five chapters. And this yes. is, like, our initial... Well, know. and he starts to get a little frustrated that she's not immediately warming up to him. And it's like, dude, you kidnapped her. But to be fair, you, you know and I about. both just agreed that if it were us, we probably would have warmed up a little faster because of how beautiful they are. Yes. So maybe it's kudos to Feyre for not being dazzled. You make an excellent point. Maybe she's a stronger woman than we. (laughs) So Tamlin showing Feyre around the grounds. Well, he tries to show her around the grounds and she says no. Twice. So Lucian showing Feyre around the grounds. Yes. Um, This was a fun little stepping stone, I thought, like in their friendship. And then that yes, and we can get into that a little bit more in the spoiler mm-hmm. section. But it was definitely the first moment, like we sort of have this this first moment of connection between she and Tamlin when they talk about the blight, and then we have this sort of first moment of connection with her and Lucian, right? In a similar conversation where Lucian is telling her a little bit more about the world that she's now living in, about the high Fey versus the lesser Fey, and he also lets slip if word got back to her that I was saying some of these things. I know. And things that I definitely noticed the first time, but kind of skated past. Mm-hmm. And rereading this, I was like, antennas going up, up! and <laughs> writing it down in our spoiler section. Yes. Yes. We'll get into that more in the spoiler section. But I but. liked that this chat that they had between them definitely makes Lucian seem more personable. You kind of get the first moments of him without his snark and his sarcasm and his Well, and Feyre sort of quips back at him finally Mm -hmm. towards the end. Oh, and I love that because Alice tells her that she should do that earlier on. Yes, she She, does. She's like, Lucian could do with a bit of back chat, basically. Mm -hmm. And he He does. And as soon as she sort of quips back at him and stands up to him, there's a shift there. Yes. And he 
he gives her like this little nugget of approval almost you know and he says that's better yes exactly so one other thing that I wanted to make sure we chat about before we move into sort of the final events of this mm-hmm. section is the detail that Tamlin has ensured that Feyre's family is being fed and cared for. And this is another indication as to, like, he is a decent person. He's calling out her prejudice. Mm-hmm. You've decided that we are so monstrous that you think I would take a family's only source of nourishment and income and leave them with nothing. Yeah, it's just not who he is. It's not who he is. But it's a challenging it's I moment I think she for gets Feyre a pass too. for being scared and for being prejudiced. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Even that is a challenging moment for Feyre because it's bittersweet because she realizes her family doesn't need her anymore. And she never felt like her family loved her, but at least they needed her. And the fact that she has this realization that her family would now rather she never came back, which is compounded by her father telling her at the end of chapter five, even if you escape, don't come back here. And he, of course, was saying it because he was hoping that maybe she could go and have a better life. But to Feyre, it just felt like she was unwanted. And now she's not only unwanted, she's not needed either. Yes, and there's a few moments where, I think there's actually one, I forget it's chapter 7 or chapter 8, where Tamlin calls her, she says, he says, you're insignificant enough that your presence won't cause any kind of, yeah, like... Which just layers on to what she's already And he said it as an offhand comment, almost meant it, not as a compliment, but to be like, it's okay, don't worry. Like, Like you have nothing to worry about, no one cares about you. Yeah, and then of course, she, because of... Like and she remembers experience. it. We, she brings it back up in her mind several times, insignificant enough not mm-hmm. to be a bother. Like, that stays with her. Yes. And I really feel for Feyre as she's too. kind of navigating these new and treacherous spring court waters. I and mean, speaking of treachery, yes, this little moment that we have with the boggy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're back to, to the, the boggy. At the end of... Chapter 10. (laughs) To be fair, it does... Everything about the Boggy is terrifying except for its name. That is so true. I remember reading this and I was like, oh. I was scared. All the things that it's... And I imagine it sort of like a Dementor, but you can't see it. Mm, Interesting. And the way that it like whispers nasty things. You know what I thought about? Did you ever watch that Netflix movie where it was like, the things come and take over the world, but you can't look at them, otherwise you die? Was it the Bird Box movie? Oh, that was similar. That was, oh yes, you couldn't look, yes, Bird Box, that was it. You couldn't look at that. I never watched it. It's not really, that's, that's, in my opinion, not the greatest genre. (laughs) (laughs) But the Boggy is scary. The Boggy is very scary. And like, some of the things that it was, like, her blood froze, and like, she's staring at It got very cold, Mm -hmm. and that's what, again, what made me think of the Dementors. Like, you just, there's... It's like all the joy seeps from the air, and it's very scary. Yes, and then um, she asks if that was the cereal, and Lucian says no. No. And we get our first mention of the The cereal cereal. in these chapters. Very exciting. I know, I can't wait to discuss the cereal. I know, next episode we can talk a lot more about the cereal. 
But he says when you look at it, when you acknowledge it, that's when it becomes real. That's and that's when, when it, it can, can kill, kill you. you. And I do love the way that SJM writes sometimes, a shiva spider walked down my spine. Like, she just has, like, this language that she uses that yes. really evokes a very creepy feeling. Very sinister. And, yeah, sinister. That's a good yes. way of looking at it. She also has that moment when Feyre is wandering the gardens and she's at the edge of the field and she thinks that there are two, like, playful little things watching her. Yeah. Um, so we kind of are getting examples of all these different fairies that are like the yes. lesser fae. Right. And we have these levels, again, I don't think we discussed this in depth last time, we have the high fae, which are the which are the ruling. Yes, they exist, they literally exist to, to rule. rule. And then there are the high lords, which are above the high fae. Yes. And then there are the lesser fae and fairies. And, and they are all members of the different courts. Yes, and we are, so we experience the bog, we get reference to the cereal, these are all fairies, and then there were two kind of sprightly little things in the garden yes. that she kind of wanted to play with her, but she couldn't see them. So we're right. just kind of getting our first little moments of, oh, this mm-hmm. is a very different world that we are suddenly in, right. where you are always being watched and never safe and something is always around the corner mm-hmm. and you're so much better when you're reading about settling in and really appreciating those moments and I get I get a little bit impatient because I'm always looking for the next encounter with the strong with a strong jawed male <laughs> aka hot no, I love those wall-building moments. I think it's because I used to pretend as a kid for hours and hours and hours that I was in them, like at the bottom of my garden, and there were fairies there. And then at the very end of these chapters, we get this very intense moment where Tamlin goes looking for the, bo- the bogey. Boggy. <laughs> but as Tamlin goes out to hunt the bogey, she is kind of looking out her window into the garden and favorite. Sees- I just have to say, this was a very, very hot Tamlin moment, very broody. Oh, when it very was like only powerful. he can go and kill the he buggy. He stalks out after being, again, like Tamlin got rejected in this moment by Pharaoh. So not broody. fun, and he's broody, <laughs> and I would be too. And then he has to go deal with this monster on his lands, and he just stalks out. And Feyre's like, where is he going? And Lucian says, to hunt the boggy. And she was like, but you said it couldn't be killed. And he just goes, Tam can. Tam can. And it's like, <gasps> Which is unfortunately sounds a little bit like a commercial jingle. <laughs> like, got tough stains on your... On your Tam can. Tam can. Well, thanks for ruining that for me, Jessica. It just happened just now in my head. <laughs> However, let it not take away from me being thoroughly impressed by Tamlin's. You're just under you're just starting to understand that Tamlin is not to be trifled with. Yes. And there is always that Which is moment very in attractive. romanticy where you start to realize, mm. oh, people don't people don't fuck with Tamlin. No. Because no. Tamlin is in charge of yeah. all situations. All the time. Because it's very hot. Yeah. And it's a problem. It is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And then one other thing and I wanted to know. And it's starting to be a problem for Feyre, too, because she can't sleep. Well, I was just about to say, we kind of get the first indications that she is thinking about Tamlin, mm-hmm. not in a way where she is scared of him all the time. Right. I think we haven't completely eliminated that fear yet. Well, if he goes, so mm-hmm. goes the order for her to be protected. A little quote from the chapter. Ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous to watch for his return. To see if he could indeed survive against the boggy, I turned from the window, about to drag myself into bed, and then something moves out in the garden, and it's her father. But, yes. like, she's starting to think about Tamlin, and being, why am I thinking about him? And it's always like, oh girl, you know why you're thinking about in him. fantasy romance novels, let's catch on to your own feelings a little bit quicker. It's okay. They are literally in your head. It's okay to think them. It is okay to have a crush on your captor. He is a strong-jawed male. (laughs) I think that brings us to the end of the events, and we're going to have to wait until the next episode to see how Feyre is going to react to her father. I know. I like how we've uh, we've timed these out so that on the end of each five chapters seems to be kind of a cliffhanger. It's almost as if she wrote it intending for someone to do this specifically us two on these two sofas i'm not gonna say it's fate but (laughs) all right so this is your warning to tune out if you have not read ahead we are entering the spoiler section everything from all the books of akatar all the books of throne of glass all the books of crescent city Material that we have picked up online from other creators, fan theories, bits from SJM, interviews, literally, if it is out there in the world... It is fair game. It's fair game. If you are not here for the spoilers, we will see you next episode. Okay, Jessica, now we are in spoiler land. Oh my god. I always feel like I can take a deep breath and sort of, like, relax. Okay, so we get so many nuggets... She is queen of the Easter egg. I've said it once, I'll say it again. Every day is Easter when you are reading a Sarah J. Mass novel. I'd love to start with that moment where we are at the dinner table Mm -hmm. and Tamlin slumps into his chair and there's a flash of really bright white light light and he turns from the beast into a golden head, strong jawed male. (laughs) But I was immediately reminded, ding, 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 of shifting in, in Throne, of, Throne Glass. of Gloss and how there is always a flash of white light before anyone turns into the animal. Yes. yes, and it's it's a link there that is not it's not insignificant because of also what we learn when Bryce is in the Asteri libraries mm-hmm. and she realizes that there are fae in many worlds and they are all mm-hmm at least descended from the same sort of original high fae race. Yes, and certain things have been bred out. Have been bred out of them. We know that which means that there are specifically Tamlin's bloodline must have that connection to the throne of glass fae. I just believe like in my opinion that is a connection. I think it will come back around. And don't you just love reading these things and stuff that you did not notice the first oh, time around? Oh, absolutely, 100%. And it's it's also significant that when Lucian is talking about the masks, he says to her, they all wore different masks to sort of honor and celebrate Tamlin's shifting abilities. Mm-hmm. So this is rare, what he can do. Yes. This is rare. And that's, well, I think again, it's all the High Lord's 
We've uh, had this debate before, and I don't know. I'm going to have to wait and see what happens as I reread the rest of this chapter because, like, I don't Helion like and Rice can both, sorry, Reese, as per our earlier discussion on pronunciation. Controversial pronunciation there. Helion and Reese, they both can shift into another beast a form. beast form? Yes, because there is a scene in A Court of Wings and Ruin on a battlefield where they are both in their other forms. It's not a beast the same way that Tamlin's beast is, but they are other creatures that they can shift into. I don't know about Thessin, and I don't know about Callias. Interesting. Yeah, because I, particularly that, like, flash of white light and the fact that Tamlin does it so often makes me think that that is something that is unique to him, and I thought that Feyre's ability to, to shift, shift comes came, from that nugget from of Tamlin, from his drop of I'm excited to reread it all again. Me too. And kind of figure out exactly what's going on there. A couple other Easter eggs. You want to talk about the little reference to a high lady? Yes, I do. Lucian makes the little blunder and references at her, which we know is Amarantha. But Feyre thinks to herself, like, oh, maybe this, maybe he's talking about someone who is, you know, even higher up than Tamlin. She knows that there are high lords, but maybe there are also high ladies, if that were even possible. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, girl, if you only knew. If you only knew. That she would be the first. Another moment I really loved was when Feyre tries to calm herself down. She thinks of a starry, unclouded night sky, peaceful and glittering and endless. When was this? It was in chapter seven or eight, but there's little nuggets of things that calm her down and like center her. And And one of them is a starry. A starry night sky. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if we need to go further into that. I don't even think we need to say anything else. There like was that, this but. hilarious moment when Feyre booby trapped the door. Oh and yes! Alice goes, "What in the bottomless depths of the cauldron?" <laughs> and I was like, "We didn't really talk cauldron about cauldron." Boil oh. me, burning solace, burning solace, erd. <laughs> All of the different gods and goddesses. The, just... the cauldron definitely took mm. a little bit of time for me to get used to. I think we should hold our discussion on cauldron lore until we <laughs> until we get to the mural. But what we can say is that it was just a tough adjustment for me. This cauldron situation. Like, I had trouble taking it seriously as I was reading this. Anytime anyone was yes, like, because by the was cauldron. By the cauldron, it made me think of, like, witches or, like, of Hogwarts, you know? Yeah. What is the song? Bubble, bubble, toilet trouble, yeah, yeah, but I culture bubble, (laughs) which is literally Shakespeare, but like, but they make it funny in Harry Potter, and so it's all this, it's all these connotations and associations that I have with the word cauldron, and she's saying, what are the bottomless depths of the cauldron, and I'm just like, oh my god, I can't take you seriously. That's a good exclamation, though. Those are all my little foreshadowing moments that I had. There was one little moment where Tamlin kind of got jealous that Pharaoh went hunting with Lucian. And, like, he didn't do anything overly... Well, I do think we should unpack a little bit what's really going on here at the dinner table when they're poking around in Pharaoh's love life. So, Tamlin... And Tamlin is trying to flirt with her. And I don't remember the fine print of this bargain that Amarantha made so with Tam. I, this is what I rem- remember of it. It is that someone who has nothing but hate in their heart 
for fairies. Did it have to be immortal specifically? It has to be immortal specifically. Yes. They have to make Tamlin has to make that mortal fall in love with him. Right. And he had how many years to do it? Fifty. He had fifty years to do it. So this is the final year. We are in the the final countdown. Is falling. Oh my god. It really is just like Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Oh, but it's great. Like I love, I love that she took sort of a beloved fairy tale mm. story and reinvented it in the way that she has. A hundred percent. It's wonderful. Was it just that the mortal needed to fall in love with? And by the way, so this is the blight is really just Amarantha's curse, curse. Mm-hmm. and the only way to break that curse is. Just for the mortal to fall in love with Tamil, or does he also have to fall in love with her? Because in Beauty and the Beast, it's it's. Both. I think it's he has to fall in love with her too. But we'll we'll research and and circle back. Okay. I was getting some Edward Cullen vibes from Tamlin. Um, he's like very oh, jealous. Oh, when he forced her to sit down and eat and that got was, very territorial. Of yeah, her. and then also like when it was very clear that like they had come back from hanging out that I mean to be fair he had been rejected Elia and so then to see Feyre coming back with Lucian would have been annoying okay winners and losers of the chapters mm. I actually haven't decided mine so I'm gonna go on the fly you want to go first or you want me to go first I'm also going on the fly today I think the winner mm-hmm. is going to be I think winner's gonna be Lucian like he starts solidifying a friendship with Feyre He's the one who actually gets her to start, like, talking about where she comes from. Like, he gives her some information. They start a friendship. Mm-hmm. It seems like the first actual friendship that exists between any of the characters we have thus far mm-hmm. is forming between those two. He clearly was able to do it, and Tamlin wasn't in these five chapters. Mm. And he's also better at flirting, apparently, than Tamlin. I think I have to agree with you, just because I can't really think of any other character that's... I mean, it's not Tamlin. I, he's my loser, I think. I was going to go with Alice. She did get booby trapped. I, I <laughs> she literally gets booby trapped. She did get booby trapped. That sucks. And all she has been is nice to Vera. Exactly. Okay, so loser is Alice. Honorable mention goes to Tamlin for starting off very strong, kind of botching it, and then stalking off into the forest to go kill something because... He's he, he he has a slight arc at the end because that is very Listen, hot. Listen, his attractiveness and his mystery never wavers. But there is no forward progress really exactly. between he and Feyre the way there is between, I think, Lucian and Feyre. Hence, Because at least up. with Lucian and Feyre, I think she's less afraid of Lucian than she is of Tamlin for some reason. She's very fixated on the claws. Yeah, she does get really afraid of the claws. (laughs) Like, really freak her out about Tamlin, which I guess is fair. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think that would unnerve me as well. So I think that brings us to the end of our episode, Jessica. And what a lovely episode it's been, It really has. And, you know, it was a little bit dicey to start because Jessica (laughs) and I were a little hungover this morning, but... I think we've pulled through. I think. Cheers. Cheers. We'll be back to sipping vino by next episode. Don't yes. you worry. We will be diving into chapters 11 to 15. Mm-hmm. A lot happens in 11 to 15. We're very excited. And we can't thank you guys enough for tuning in and listening to us. We are so happy to be here discussing A Court of Thorns and Roses with you. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope to see you back on the next episode.